Mm-hmm. That's really wonderful because you mentioned the morphology. And I think even soft robotics now, we speak about uh, morphological computation and how the shape uh-huh. is important. And when we look even example of this dead fish swimming upstream and and that is was I think maybe because of the morphology of the fish and also the environment and that was astonishing they are still functioning although they are dead uh-huh. so if you can tell us the morphology how this shape as we human being why we have this shape or you ask yourself why this creature has a certain shape like that and do you think maybe we can advance the shape we have already in, in nature or biology as a biology, do you have a kind of thought like that? Why we have the shape? Why can we adapt the shapes to something completely maybe exotic or different? Yeah, so uh, there's a lot, definitely a lot to unpack with those types of questions. So I, I think, you know, using examples like the dead fish and the morphology, what, what's tricky is compared to traditional uh, sort of um, what we would call perhaps materials, living materials are really hard to predict. Mm. And so there's, there's interesting feedbacks. Um, you know, there's, there's odd, odd sort of, um, a lot of this, I guess we would consider from, from the biological and more, more of a closed loop system. So there's all sorts of feedbacks and these are really non-intuitive. So a lot of what we do in biology is, is really the old fashioned way. You just have to look, there's a lot of observation. And so a lot of our inspiration comes from curiosity and just Mm -hmm. interrogating the system. Um, So, you know, I I think absolutely we are able to understand and control aspects of morphology and understand how that feedback can feedback into the system. Um, And and I think what's amazing to me is specifically, which we can talk about with our living robots, Mm -hmm. what we're starting to understand is, is every extant system that we've investigated has been under... the the purview of of natural selection, right? So these have been in the natural world and have been selected based on the principles of inheritance and genotype and phenotype. And what we're doing now is is we're starting to understand what if we uncouple design from natural selection? So what if we use a computer to design an organism, something Mm -hmm. that could never theoretically exist in a natural selection scenario, but might be really interesting, sort of a, a biological robot, so to speak. And, and I think that's beginning to push the limits of, of what we understand yeah. on how morphology and shape can play into behaviors and, and what sort of control knobs we have that we can tune in these systems. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So maybe we can hear uh, the question about how we can define living system. Since you are in the biology, maybe a student asks how I can design the living system and what could be the possibility for design of incorporating a living uh, systems? with maybe artificial material. If you can tell us firstly, what is living system and how you design them and what could be potential um, possibilities for selecting different tissue from the biology mm-hmm. or maybe creature you have in your lab? Yeah, so, so um, it's, uh, the, the definition of alive and living systems is actually still fairly controversial in biological circles. And so mm-hmm. different groups will define it differently. I would say for the purpose of building hot um, biohybrid robots or living robots, we would say that a living system is a system that in, in some way has its own biological metabolism. So it has a means of mm-hmm. energy production and a way of consuming the energy to produce some sort of effect, whether it's behavior or biochemical. Um, and I think as far as designing systems, I can talk about how we design ours. 
but the really the most vital question moving forward is within biology, we, we really have uh, compared to the diversity of organisms in the world, very few model organisms that we brought into the lab to begin to use. And so from vertebrates, we have a handful, you know, six or seven, mm-hmm. and then we have a lot of single cell. And so we really have a, a extremely limited toolkit to begin with. So you could think of, imagine a robotics facility that only has two types of motors and three types of actuators mm-hmm. and maybe four types of scaffolds. That's sort of the level that we're at with our ability to, to use these organisms. And so when building, I think you, you think about a robot and the environment in which you would deploy a physical robot is really important for the design principles you would use. And so for us, it's very similar. So I build biological robots out of frog cells. I, I use a soft robot simulator with, in collaboration with my colleagues at University of Vermont, which simulates evolution to design soft-bodied robots with different types of cells to perform a specific function like moving, it evolves robots randomly. And then what I do is I go into a frog embryo and harvest stem cells and layer them from the ground up, basically decompose the embryo into Lego blocks. Each block is a cell. And then I relayer those Lego blocks or cells to create a new morphology where the cells develop and reattach. Um, and, and I think we can talk about why the frog is what I think right mm-hmm. now is the ideal system for this type of work. But also, um, it depends on your, your use scenario. So if you would like to build a robot out of cells to go inside of a human body, the needs would be very different. And uh, putting a frog cell inside of a human body would, would likely be very catastrophic mm-hmm. to the patient. Um, and likewise, if you would like something that can tolerate extreme temperatures, either hot or cold, the frog might not be the best uh, tool for the job. And so uh, I think just like traditional robots, you really have to define your application, which will help inform the type of material you'll use to build your living robot. 